This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s gives kids adult looks to our favorite childhood films. I took a break there because I forgot what I normally say, even though I do this every single month. Uh, so, this month we are taking a look back at Explorers from 1985 to see if our nostalgia is warranted. Though, Mark, if I remember correctly, you hadn't seen this film and saw it in a list of sci-fi films. I definitely never saw this film, and I believe Sarah hasn't either. So this is a blind watch for us. Uh, that's partially correct. I was sitting at work listening to music, as I do during the day, because my job is cool and lets me do that. <laughs> and somehow it came up on, like, sci-fi movie soundtracks and played some songs from that one because they were by the same composer as some other one that I listened to. So, the long story, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, then this one came up, and I said, ooh, that sounds cool and sci-fi from the 80s, and I looked it up and was like, hey, this would fit our podcast really well, and I knew I knew I had never seen it, but uh, apparently neither had either of you, which uh, made it pretty nice to pick and do a blind watch, which we haven't done too many of in the past. It seems like usually when we try a blind watch, at least one of us has seen it before, so it was kind of nice to do one that was brand new to everybody. Yeah, it was... I think the blind watches that we have planned before, it has always been hard to find a movie from a list that none of us had found. So it was surprising that you stumbled across this and none of us have seen it, given that like all of us were watching films in the 80s and all of us had an interest in sci-fi films. Yeah, well, and there were some, uh, would you say A-list? There are some names in this oh, movie yeah. that you've definitely heard of before, so... Yeah, uh, which we can get into that, but yeah, uh, I think I know why I hadn't heard of this film, and we can get into that as a part of our reviews. Uh, but we're going to start off with the 60-second synopsis. You know, I don't have my phone <laughs> at hand. If you'd like to have your own timer, you Ooh. are welcome to. Or I just won't time it and say that I did okay. Well, and what I was going to do, try to do a Sarah this month and just make it up on the fly. And mm -hmm. then like an hour ago, I was getting paranoid that I would screw it up or forget yep. something. That's so what I, always I do. wrote it down anyway. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, um, I do have a timer here. Uh, normally someone gives a countdown, but since I have my own timer, I don't really yeah, know if you will. For, <laughs> for the listeners, give yourself your own countdown and then begin. That'll work. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one, go. Young Ben always wanted to travel to space, and after a recent recurring dream, Ben seeks out the help of his young scientist friend. Together with the help of a class rebel, they discover the strange code from Ben's dreams creates a spherical energy field, which allows them to travel inside it without feeling inertia, meaning they can go at any speed they wish. 
They steal parts from a junkyard to build their own spaceship, and after a brief test flight that scares half the town, almost crash when a mysterious computer glitch causes them to lose control. When the three children now experience the same dream together, they decide that they have to try again, this time flying all the way to space, where they are picked up by an orbiting craft and meet its alien inhabitants. The kids and aliens are just beginning to understand each other when a larger ship appears and the aliens quickly try to get the children to leave. We discover these aliens are actually children who stole their father's ship and he is now caught up with them. So they send the humans back home without learning any secrets of the universe. Shortly after this, the kids all experience the same dream again, but this time Ben's crush is involved as well. The end? Question mark? <laughs> is there a sequel? No, there isn't. Um, but, oh wow, you had it in just under time there. Yep. Very impressive. Yeah, actually, uh, th- you pr- probably could have made it even shorter than that and still got the main plot, but... <laughs> yeah, so let's go into log form. Though normally what we would see is it also miss a children. For both of us, that's everything. Uh, so, like, I think for our listeners, that is so important, especially, like, given that we never saw this as children it's likely that our listeners never saw this film and so like the more you could include in that 60 seconds it's going to help so much give them context when we start breaking it down and talking about specific things hopefully but that's why we do the long form because then we can actually explain the whole thing if we need to (laughs) right but i mean so often we pick films that like People know the story of Babe, or like people know the story of Muppet Christmas Carol because it's just the Christmas Carol. For blind watchers, I think it's particularly important. So it's great that you're able to to write it down to get a lot of information in there really right. quickly instead of just trying to make it up. Which, uh, yeah, I almost did. Speaking of making up stories, like Sarah would. Mm-hmm. You may have noticed that she is not here this time. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot to mention that. We both knew it, so I didn't have to tell you, but yes. I should probably have told our listeners. <laughs> yes, Sarah will not be joining us this time. She is under the weather and unable to talk, but we do have a couple of notes from her that we may sprinkle in, uh, including Ethan Hawke has had the same for 40 years. <laughs> the same what? We'll never know. My guess is hair. Mark's guess was face. But I don't know. It you know could what be I was surprised about, as long as we're talking about Ethan Hawke, was that Dead Poet Society was only four years after this. And he looks so young in this movie, but not so much in Dead Poet Society. So that was surprising to me. But I think this film had to be filmed way before it was released. For instance, River Phoenix, who plays the young scientist character in this film, uh, was born in 1970, meaning he would have been 15 in this film if it was uh, released the year it was filmed. So I think this had to have sat on a shelf for a while before they released it. They do go to junior high school, though, so they should still be between, like, 12 and 15 in the movie, so... I don't know. Uh, To me, River Phoenix read at... I guess junior high school might be a little different from wherever you do. Sometimes they include three grades or four. Anyway, 15 to 16 was like start of high school for me. And River Phoenix reads like he's 10, 11 here, as opposed to 14, 15. I mean, you say that, but he's also like the genius scientist kid. So he sounds like he's a young kid, but he knows all these science 
science-y terms, or he's supposed to know the science-y terms, which I'm sure you will talk about. <laughs> oh boy, we need to get into the science of this film. Uh, but I think a good starting point is to talk about the cast. As you mentioned, there are some well-known actors, not necessarily A-list, but names you would definitely recognize. We've already talked about Ethan Hawke, who is the star of this film playing uh what was his ben, name his ben name something. is ben crandall uh a kid who's very into sci-fi like sci-fi b movies and one of the things i loved about the characters in this film is the the three kids who go on the adventure are um ethan hawk you've got river phoenix and you've got Jason Presson, who I don't know from anything else. So like, I, yeah, Jason's... I didn't recognize his name, but he was pretty good in this for a child. Yeah, actor. I liked him. I liked all the characters in this, mm -hmm. in that like they are playing archetypes, but there's a good spread of expertise for these kids. So like I waited against something else so recently that basically kids going on adventure, which is Stranger Things. And in Stranger Things, like there's a lot of overlap in like what the kids know and like the things the kids are into or like they're all kind of into like the radio club at school yeah. they all kind of know they're how to like transmit signals how they all know each other so where in this i like that ethan hawk is really into b-movie sci-fi and really he is the one who looks into space and wonders what is out there he's the one who wants to go and explore and visit different galaxies and whatnot. And he also has knowledge from that sci-fi of, like, different ideas of what aliens could be. Like, he mentions at one point, we may not even, like, recognize the aliens as beings because they could just be, like, sentient forms of gas. Or, like, he has the understanding that aliens may not look like us, aliens may not act like us. He has the concept that alien culture will be that they will be alien <laughs> to us and like i love that he's kind of like got the um oh what's the anthropological standpoint that there can be so many different variations of what's out there then you have river phoenix who's playing the classic sci-fi tech guy he knows electronics he builds everything he flies the ship by typing coordinates into the computer for them and finally, you have Darren, who is, like, the more practical, more mechanical guy who knows how to and weld a ship together. I was trying to figure out who, what, and like you said, they all have their own stereotypical um, thing. And I, I don't know what, it almost like he was the, like, the rebel of the, like, like, yeah. a Nelson Muntz, because he goes home and his house is all falling apart and his dad is his mm -hmm. parents are his mom died i guess and his dad is there with the girlfriend and they're having a fight which apparently is a common thing and so he goes away a lot to escape from that so you seem like it feels like he's the problem kid but he's also really nice and helps everybody out and then he knows the first thing that we like when we first start meeting him is because he has a motorcycle which is interesting for a kid that age but he talks about having to rebuild the carburetor so you know he knows the mechanical side of it so they all have their own role to play in... So it's nice to have the three of them come together to put this ship together, but they all come from different backgrounds in yeah, order to make I, it work. And, like, we see some of the kids in class, and, like, 
uh, Darren, who's the mechanical guy, is doing the worst because he's not he's not good at the traditional school system. We see him get a test back, and it's a D minus. He barely passed. Uh, we also see the main kid, the dreamer, the explorer, Ben in school, and like most of the time, he's daydreaming or sleeping and not paying attention. And we also see. Um, Oh, what's his Other name? Game. Wolfgang. Yes. Wolfgang in school. Wolfgang. Who, we see him fall asleep, but, like, the the intent is, like, he's very good at school because school is exactly the type of knowledge that he has and is good at. So I love that there are so many different types of intelligence in this film, and, like, it gives each character, like, a different type of intelligence, and all are valued in this. I, t- to be fair, though, at the point that they're all falling asleep is because they've been up all night building a spaceship. But right, <laughs> but right. I think yeah, it's kind of that same thing where where Ben is kind of the average student where he might do really well on some test or might not do well, but he's just there like <laughs> the normal student. So you have like each level, but as they all work together, they're able to accomplish this thing. Right. And like, if you want to put it on a classic uh, Star Trek escape, uh, I think Ben is definitely the captain. He's the dreamer. He's the guy who's got ideas. Wolfgang is kind of your Spock. He's the science officer, officer very practical, very reasonable. And I think Darren is... Kind of your Scotty, maybe? Like, he's not necessarily... Like, he's definitely the engineer. He keeps the ship together. He knows how to repair things. He's not necessarily... He doesn't translate well to the Star Trek thing, because all of them are, like, super scientists in their own particular field. But he's the engineering maintenance part of the space team. He could also be the security because he saves Ben from getting beaten up. <laughs> That's true. Like, he could also be the counselor from Star Trek The Next Generation because he has great social intelligence. He recognizes right away that the aliens are lying to them that this big alien is their dad and not a space pirate <laughs> because he knows how kids interact with dads and he's able to translate this to the same that you now is that what is that what he i so the first time that he says that is just after the dad has been going on a rant for like two minutes and i thought maybe he's just used to his own dad yelling at him so much that that's what he that's what he kind of inferred from it but well yeah i think that's that's part of it like i think uh, when the aliens say that they're being taken by space pirates and they're trying to kick the kids out because they're being caught by their father. Like, the father comes in, he's, like, three stories tall. <laughs> and, like, Darren seems to be the only kid who's not immediately scared of it because he's a very practical child and he he's, is going to wait to see what happens before he passes judgment on it. And based on their interactions, the dad is just gesticulating wildly and it seems like he's you don't understand the language but you get that he's yelling so he's not being violent he's not taking out a weapon he's just shouting at these creatures and like ben is like oh okay i know what this is also the or fact not ben, that he basically looks exactly like his kids but bigger so exactly all right so like uh while we're on the subject of famous people in this film i think you had mentioned this before, and I forgot, but James Cromwell is in this film. Did I mention that? I think you did when you were recommending it early on. Oh, uh, Just because, yeah. like, uh, we have just seen him in Babe, and now this is a different role. And, like, 
for a fairly well-known character actor. He has like three or four lines in this. He plays Wolfgang's father with a terrible German accent. <laughs> and like we see him in one scene and that's it. He spends the entire scene looking for his bug bomb that he lost For his somehow. bug bomb! <laughs> Where is the bug bomb? It was into the bathroom! Uh, yeah, it's that level of German accent. I'm doing a perfect representation of James Cromwell in this film and intentionally doing a bad German accent. Thank you. I'll take my Oscar now. I just think it, it's it's also one of those 80s kids movie things where the dad is a scientist in his lab coat and is kind of absent-minded. So, of course, his son is also in a lab mm -hmm. coat and knows science-y stuff. So. All right. So let's talk <laughs> a little bit about this science-y stuff. Because the film starts off like the we come to understand later in the film that these aliens have been sending psychic waves to specific people on Earth that they feel would be what's the word I'm looking for? They would be they would be accepting of aliens yeah. and not attack them like we see in uh, War of the Worlds or. Um, Oh, what's the key? Well, the so, one? so again, anyway, we don't find out until later. But the aliens have been monitoring Earth's media, and so all they know is sci-fi movies where Earthlings immediately attack any aliens that show up. So they were looking for people who might be accepting, like you said, who or more open-minded. So that and the they, Keanu Reeves one I couldn't think of just now was the day the Earth stood still. Yes. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is in the remake. Anyway. So, they've been transmitting to people they think would be accepting of aliens and open to the possibility that aliens could be nice and that we don't need to fight a schematic for something to build. And I love this opening sequence where we see Ben sleeping in his bed and it transitions to, like, these clouds and we see him flying through the air. And we understand this is a dream Ben is having because we just cut away from him in bed. And as we're flying through the air, we hear his heavy breathing still. So it, it lets us transition to that, showing us that we're in his head now and we can still hear his breathing. This isn't a separate area. This is what he's seeing in the dream. And he flies over this Tron-like schematic, which is... I'm glad you said that, because that was one of the first things I thought of, too. <laughs> yeah, it's not super scientific. A lot of what he sees is things that aren't really circuit parts flying through the air and then landing on the circuit and lighting up that area. Uh, but where he finishes, I was impressed that there was some good design in this, that the thing that he draws when he wakes up and tries to remember the circuit contains a lot of actual circuit parts. Now, like, there's... You can identify, like, this is the symbol for a battery, this is the symbol for a capacitor, that's a resistor, and, of course, there's one big mysterious part in the center that's how everything works, and we don't know what that is. Where I took umbrage with this is not that a kid could get this transmitted to his head and jot it down and give it to his friend. It's that his friend could build an integrated circuit representing exactly what he saw in the dream, and it works perfectly the first time. First of all, now, a child does not have access to technology to print an integrated circuit. If he wants to combine... His dad does, Different apparently. pieces together. Does he? <laughs> it's like he has his own lab in the basement, but... Well, that 
having a computer does yeah, not no, allow you to he build... He does call it a lab. ...a separately designed integrated circuit on a circuit board. Like, you can combine components in what's called a breadboard if you want to solder it all together and do all that work. You don't have a perfectly compact circuit board with all the connections jotted out on it. It's just, you don't have the technology for this. And it bothered me because I know how much it takes to build something like that. <laughs> Anywho. I, I just, while I was watching this, thinking, oh boy, I can't wait to see what Carl thinks. <laughs> the other thing that bothered me is... Ben, after having the dream, does not have a complete record of what he saw. As he's waking up, he's forgetting the dream, and he jots down what he can remember, but it is incomplete. He hands this to his friend Wolfgang, and Wolfgang specifically says, I did a bunch of guesswork uh, to fill in the gaps of what you didn't have here, and he plugs it in. And it immediately works the first time. Now, he did say beforehand, well, these things usually take months or years of development, so it probably won't work. Right, and then it works, no problem, the absolute first time he ever plugs it in. I thought that was the whole point, was that it was space magic from the aliens telling him exactly what it should be. But it's not space magic, because they didn't send space magic to Wolfgang. They sent it to Ben, and Ben failed in communicating all of the space magic he saw. Wolfgang guessed at a couple of things, and Wolfgang shouldn't be capable of space magic. But he, well, he does get the dream later, I guess. So maybe he had parts of it and he just didn't know it. Subconsciously. Well, I think the aliens do specifically add people as Ben encounters them. Like, they, they, sp they add the girl at the end mm -hmm. based on a picture that Ben had for problematic reasons, which we <laughs> can get into. The other thing that bothered me here is the, they turn it on and they, they're able to plug it into a human computer that can apparently print out everything this alien circuit board is saying. And it prints it out in perfect English so that these kids can understand it. That's number one. Number two, what it asks for is give coordinates in XYZ. Wolfgang assumes XYZ is relative to the terminal that he plugged it into. That's a wild assumption. There's no reason that should be true, but it is true. Uh, and then XYZ gives you positioning, right? You can move forward and back, you mean left and right, you can move up and down. What you can't do with XYZ coordinates is turn in any direction. It doesn't allow you to do that, and yet they are able to perfectly pilot a ship maneuvering around a bunch of stuff, swinging around. Occasionally they crash through something, but like they're always facing the direction they go, and based on the what we see, they shouldn't be capable of that. I mean, really, should they be capable of creating a random orb in space and let it hang there? I suspend my disbelief for <laughs> space magic, but based on how the space magic says it is controlled, it doesn't make sense. Well, so my question, the very first thing he does is try to type something in, and he says right. it should be there, and you don't see anything. And then, all of a sudden, all the books on the bookshelf explode, and they go to examine it, and there's this little perfect circular hole through the whole bookshelf. But did he ever tell it to move, or did he just make it appear and then suddenly it went on its own? Huh. 
That's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it had... You know what? I don't know if turning it on put it in an initial position and then entering something shifted it to another position. That could be... Well, then later... Then at, later... First, at first, it is invisible, mm -hmm. and they have to change a power modulation so to make it That's what I was going to say, orb. too. Later on, suddenly, he's like, well, I still don't see anything, and Wolfgang says, oh, hold on a second, and he types something, and suddenly this ball appears in the air. Yeah, that is also <laughs> an issue I had. So for something to be visible, it either needs to emit or reflect light so that we can perceive it with our eyes. So there's nothing there. This is a ball of force. And so is he changing the surface of it so that it becomes slightly reflective and that we can see the color bouncing off of it? And what, so what they called it, what, what did he say? It was just, it was, he called it an energy field at one point, and then he called, change it to a force field later. It's a ball of force field. So then, then what? He changed the energy modulations to make it visible. So, so he changed the power modulation to change the diameter is what he says. And then he doesn't fully explain how to turn it blue and make it visible. So, yeah, then I don't know. I, I mean, it basically looks like a bubble that you would blow out of a bottle of bubbles. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, is that where bubbles come so, from? So, <laughs> I, I don't know what would make it appear. I, I can concede that this is alien magic. They get it to work the way they want it to work. I really love the beginning of this film in that it has a really slow build, they get the circuit board, they get the little blue orb, they then go out to a field and decide to do more testing with the orb to see what it's capable of. And they discover that if they create an orb around Wolfgang, which, oh boy, later in the <laughs> film we see them create the orb around their spaceship and it breaks the landing struts, meaning if it wasn't perfectly around this boy, they would have just cut off his legs. That would have been a different movie. Yeah, so they make it around Wolfgang and they... But that was not on purpose either, was it? So, it wasn't. So... Like, they accidentally made it perfectly around him in such a way that it didn't even grab any of the ground he was standing on. He must have jumped right when they did it. Uh -huh. I, the best part of that scene was Wolfgang, I forget, so like he brought out his computer and Ben's yes. like, well, you have to let me see it. It was my idea. I'm the one that dreamed this up. And so Wolfgang's wandering around the field doing whatever, and Ben is just poking buttons, and Darren's there and is like, well, make it do something. And then suddenly it appeared around Wolfgang and starts flying around with him in it. Oh, the other thing that bothered me from the standpoint of this film is that a lot of times they lose control mm -hmm. of the ball. Like when they're initially testing with it, uh, the cat jumps on the keyboard and it flies out into the neighborhood and just starts bouncing around and knocking things down and whatnot. And they keep trying to like click the keyboard to get it back. And they don't just unplug the computer that's powering this thing. They are kids. When they're trying to get Wolfgang out of the bubble, they don't, it takes them a while to figure out, oh, if we just shut down the computer, then Wolfgang will be fine. But the, the interesting thing about this alien space magic is, one, when Wolfgang's in the bubble, it is completely airtight. So it creates an airtight seal around it all. Secondly, they swing him around. He goes flying over fields. They crash him down into the earth. 
and it it isn't stopped by anything and it wolfgang inside of it doesn't feel any inertia so like if it needs to stop quickly he's not smashing into the ball if it needs to speed up he's not being his brain isn't being forced to the back of it <laughs> and like possibly causing a concussion which is really handy if you want to create a vehicle and cuz you could just ignore physics <laughs> so like I love that they test this. They keep finding out new things about it. And I love the scene of like them deciding we're going to build a spaceship. Because that's when like we see all of them working with their individual skills to make something together. But first... <laughs> sure. Uh, what was the first thought was, hey, if we can fly inside this thing, we could go above oh. the girls' locker room or something. <laughs> Granted, these kids are all heterosexual, and they are all in middle school, so I don't put it past them to have this thought. Darren especially. I think every boy, every heterosexual boy at this age, maybe homosexual too, I don't know, I'm only speaking from my own experience, they're perverted. They want to see <laughs> naked women, uh, and that's a sexual drive that is normal for this age. I, I called it problematic because... Ben has a photo of a girl he's interested in. I don't know how he got this photo, like whether she gave it to him or whether he procured it so that he could watch, he could see her in times when she wasn't around. And he decides to use the bubble to go fly up and look into her room and spy on her. And that's not great. Like, it's fine to have the urges. I think that's natural. It's not great to act on them in this way. Although then she catches him and she right. doesn't seem to care at all. So No, she seems fine with it, which this film is letting him off easy, where she could have a real problem with it. And he, he doesn't get consent and that's a problem, but he's also a kid and you learn that as you go along. I And something I was thinking about just earlier today is how that kind of I guess she does show up again at the end of the movie and he but he as much as he talks about her at the beginning and then it just kind of disappears in the middle when they end up going to space and then suddenly he's all excited about her again at the end. Maybe that was his enthusiasm of space travel like knocked her out of his brain for a while sure. or something but I felt like that story kind of kind of comes back when she comes into the dream part at the end but it just kind of didn't go anywhere. For as much as they built it up. For as much as this is a love interest, they don't kiss until the very final scene of the film. And it's not a huge moment. It's not during the climax of the film. It's during the denouement. And there was another story that didn't really... It oh. felt like there was should have been more to yeah. it, and then it just didn't do anything. So Yeah, we can get into that. There's one other thing I wanted to talk about. This scene where he's using the bubble to spy on his crush, Lori. This scene is boring. Uh, we see Lori in And it doesn't her... really do anything for the film, either. So we see him in a bubble, floating outside Lori's second-story bedroom. She's in a full nightgown, and she is on the phone. And we see it through Ben's eyes that this is amazing. He's seeing a girl he's interested in doing the most mundane things. <laughs> and to him, this is crazy and amazing, because... He is into this girl to an audience and even to the two friends that are there with him. 
it's nothing. It's boring. You're watching a human being do doing normal human things. Uh, and, like, it's not all that great. A few times in this film, they wanted to make a big moment out of something that was not necessarily that great. Uh, we can get into the other time later in the film. It's when they meet the aliens. But as far as the second, the other storyline oh, you're talking yeah. about, I think you're talking about the, the cop in the helicopter? Yep. <laughs> so after the spying on the girl scene, they end up at a junkyard to get parts because apparently that's where Darren goes to hide when he doesn't want to be at home. So he knows where all this stuff is at the junkyard. So they go find some stuff and start building their machine. And then the first time they test it out, they go flying around. They don't really go up to space. They just go around town to kind of test it and see how well it works. And really, Wolfgang didn't even want to do that. But Ben's like, oh, we have to do it now that we have everything ready. Right. We got to take it. So they initially make a vehicle that they could. It's basically a car that these kids could drive to go places and not initially envisioned as a spaceship to go out and explore the universe. So so they're flying around. They, they end up at the drive-in theater, which is showing a sci-fi movie, and people are like, oh, it looks so realistic. <laughs> and then they almost crash the ship into the cars below them. But while they're flying around the town, this cop goes by in a helicopter, and uh, they... I don't know exactly, like, they, they just both kind of, they like, oh, did you see that? I don't know what I saw. So, rather than trying to look crazy, they just don't tell anyone about it. Right. Well, we see later in the newspaper that it was several UFO sightings were reported. And, and so it's, most, the of them were, most of them were at the movie theater, so. So, uh, an interesting point that I should bring up during this, when the helicopter sees their spaceship, uh, flying around is the the cop who gets super interested, which is a storyline that isn't fully explored. Looks into the window, and because the bubble is airtight, all the boys are where they're breathing O2 that they brought along with them. So Ben and Darren have like this thing that fits in their nose that I assume they stole from their old grandpa. Uh, <laughs> that they can breathe through that. But Wolfgang is wearing like a full gas mask connected to this air system. And what the pilot sees is Wolfgang in this gas mask inside the thing. And he assumes, oh, that's an alien's face because he doesn't think this is from the planet Earth. And so, like, that's what burns him on to, like, figure out what is this alien craft? I need to find this. Well, I and need I guess to know what, what? their about. shift ended. So he drops off the one guy and then his partner's like, oh, are you coming? He says, no, I'm going to go fly around a bit. And I'm like, well, first of all, if your shift is done, you shouldn't really have access to official police equipment anymore, maybe. Maybe. But anyway, he's flying the helicopter around and sees something down in the creek beneath the trees. He kind of can see it. So he goes and investigates and finds Ben's jacket inside. And then he hunts down Ben to talk to him about it and ask what he saw. But when he's talking to his partner about it, yeah. he said something about, well, I've been having dreams about that thing, and I haven't had those since I was a kid. So, which means if these aliens have been implanting these dreams, they've been doing it for many years, apparently. 
And it was implied when they meet the aliens and we figure out that they're children that they had just stolen yes. the spaceship. <laughs> That's where I was going with it, too. It says that they had just taken the spaceship from their dad who was searching for Now, maybe for aliens and in space, time is different. That's possible. So... <laughs> the, the other thing I had since, like, they can talk at our speed, time seems to be like, maybe they can live much longer, but their perception of time and the way that they can, can communicate seems to be the same as ours. My thought was maybe they could detect when the bubble was taking control of something else. Because at a certain point, while they're flying around for the movie, the oh, drive-in, yeah. uh, I think they might fly too high, they might just fly too long. The bubble starts receiving external commands, and they start going out into space. So maybe it's they can detect when a bubble has been intercepted, and that's when they decided, oh, we need to steal the ship so that we can go and meet this bubble without our dad getting mad. But I don't know how that would explain the guy having dreams when he was a kid. Oh, oh, I think they were sending out the signal from the main ship. Oh. And once mm. they discovered a bubble was coming to meet them, they stole a ship to go meet it. Mm. Like, that's my guess. The film doesn't explain it. Well, and so, like we said, this is never... It kind of reminds me of, like, E.T., because mm -hmm. he, uh, Elliot, there's that one doctor, scientist, whoever that guy was, who, like, meets him when he's in his bubble at the end of that movie. Um, he's, like, dying, and the guy comes to talk to him. It's like, oh, I I've seen aliens, and I want to meet him and talk to him. And um, it kind of reminds me of this guy, because he's all excited about it and wants to go meet the aliens. But then he chases down Ben and finds him because of his coat, Ben runs away and finds his friends out by the creek and says, we have to take off right now. This guy is chasing me. And as they fly away, he's like, good luck, kids, or something about how he's happy for them that they did this. And then you never see him again. And it's like, what? Why even bring up the backstory of him having the dreams about it if you're not going to yeah, do anything? It, it did seem very much like he was supposed to be like... An early antagonist, somebody working against the kids, somebody preventing them from taking their spaceship out again. And, like, it's just, they get past him immediately, and that he's never addressed again. <laughs> it opens more questions than it answers, and I think that was just to get this character actor in there. Dick Miller is the character actor, uh, we've seen him... Uh, in Gremlins uh, that we've done for the podcast. He is also the shopkeep in Small Soldiers that I may have brought up when we were doing Gremlins. <laughs> uh, but, like, I think he was just a somewhat famous actor they wanted to get a small part for. And, like, they fit him in, but it's and not all that now, important to the I story. can see that, but you could just make him a cop chasing the kids. Why add the part about him having the dreams also? That's because true. Because that never, like... You would think yeah, that at least he would resolved. meet the aliens, or or somehow the kids would come back and be like, "Oh, look, we met these aliens, and they or, talked about you because yeah, they sent like, you the dream." Exactly, like the aliens would mention him. Yeah, but nothing as, like, ever did happened you, from it. Did you meet this guy? Yeah, you're right. In that, like, he should have come back for a bit at the end and just be like, "So, how was it, kids? Was it everything you imagined?" <laughs> Though I, I have a. A note on the drive-in scene, 
uh, because throughout a lot of this film, that we catch a lot of like different B movie science fiction films, and that's what's playing at the drive-in uh, when they swing past and go right in front of the yeah, screen, right, <laughs> and then end up crashing into the concession stand as they try to make a quick exit. the The star of this film, uh, or no, the the character in this film is a character called Star Killer, which they named specifically because it was. Luke Skywalker was originally called Anakin Starkiller. Mm-hmm. But also the guy playing Starkiller, I recognized immediately because he is uh, Robert Picardo, who played the doctor in Star Trek Voyager. Uh, he, I looked it up and he also did the voice for uh, the male alien in this. But like it's so this quick B-movie sci-fi film is bringing in weirdly a uh, star wars reference and a star trek reference that hasn't happened yet because robert <laughs> picardo hasn't played the doctor in he hadn't played the doctor in 1985 he went on to play a star trek character later well and it's definitely i mean it was obviously a star wars reference because oh yeah this is star killer he's the blonde guy who does this and this and this and it's like exactly the plot of star wars and it's like mm, okay <laughs> The, the other thing that was weird is when they decide they need to escape and they crash into the concession stands, we get reaction shots from the film as if film playing is a show that is being live broadcast, like actors are currently performing in the concession stand and reacting to the crash that is currently happening, even though the assumption is this is a pre-recorded movie that is playing for an audience and not live entertainment like in twister when it's the shining and he's breaking down the door as the screen is getting ripped apart (laughs) Uh uh-huh so it's it's weird to see reaction shots from a movie that's supposed to be unrelated to the action going on in screen it really broke the fourth wall for me and i don't know why they made that choice uh i actually i didn't i don't remember if i even noticed that i did remember so they noticed they were in front of the screen so they try to turn around and then the angle that you see the screen is still behind them so you don't even see like the night sky around the screen you just see ufos flying around with stars in the background and then the ship coming out of it so that was interesting like you don't it's from some of the other angles, you can actually tell where the screen is and where the real sky is, and that shot you couldn't. But did they crash the concession stand because of that glitchy thing, or did they crash before that? So, apparently this ball is hard to control, which, if you're just programming XYZ coordinates, and the thing that the XYZ is in reference to is in your ship... It makes piloting a nightmare. They don't get into that. However, <laughs> they, when they're flying near the screen, Darren has a realization that, oh, we're right next to the screen. Everyone can see us. We need to get out of here. And so Wolfgang tries to, like, get out as quickly as possible and maybe hits the wrong button and just, like, they take off 
quickly, but they lose control of the ship and can't pull up before they hit the concession stand. When when you first started talking about this scene, I thought you were going to bring up the couple sitting in the car and how he's explaining to her how movies are made. I thought you were going to bring up something about that and be like, uh, oh, that's not right. That's not how movies are done. Well, he mentioned something that I'm not familiar with. So, like, I think he mentioned something along a dolly system. It's how they got a certain shot, which is just like, okay, that could be true. Maybe it was true in the (laughs) 1980s. I'm not sure. I did find that, like, the guy talking to the girl, I thought the people at the drive-in, there's this guy watching a sci-fi woman, or watching the sci-fi movie with a woman who's probably not that much into sci-fi. And as he is explaining the process of filmmaking, She's also kind of rolling her eyes in Mm -hmm. that, like, I'm not that interested in this, but I'm entertaining your interest in this because we're in a relationship. Like, I thought that dynamic between these two characters was fairly true to life. Yeah, and I, I, well, you know, these are two characters that I don't think you ever see again or before that either. Sometimes you might think, like, if they're going to do a shot like that, it would be maybe other students that we had met at school earlier in the film or something. Like, so you, ha- I mean, it, they're not important, really, so you don't need to see them again or before that. So it, Though, it doesn't you really that, matter. But the uh, in the concession stand, I believe we see the bully that mm-hmm. was beating up Ben before. I, I guess the bully also doesn't have a huge arc. We see him. Briefly in the beginning of the film, uh, and then, like, that's it. He's like, like the Biff Tannen of their middle school. Well, <laughs> not really. But, I mean, yes, I mean, he picks yes, on Wolfgang, is... and then he walks away, and then he picks on Ben, and then, then he chases Darren away, because Darren fights with him. Isn't it the same guy that picks on Wolfgang at the beginning? I don't know if anyone picks on Wolfgang, because... They took his books and threw him out in the on the ground or something. Did they? Okay. On the way to school, so it was before Ben got beat up. But but I thought Wolfgang didn't go to school because he was staying home working on the project. Is the thing? I don't think Wolfgang was at school. Mm, I don't know, but I don't it, it's the same bullies we see earlier in the yes. film. In a more nuanced film like this bully would have more of an arc they might use the bubble to do something against the bully instead of accidentally destroying a building that the bully is in they could have done that instead of spying on a girl (laughs) yeah exactly but yeah the cop story gets abandoned the bully story gets abandoned the the love interest story is not fully explored like there's a lot of comes back at the end but it just you would think kind of like, <laughs> I just keep referencing other things here, but kind of like in The Goonies, they go on their little adventure, but the um, older brother, Brand's gr- girl that he's interested in, comes along for the journey, and that's how they form their relationship. And in this one, you, they talk about the girl a lot, and then she's just never there until the very end. Yeah, I mean, she's uh, she's there when the bully beating up on Ben, and Ben looks to her. She's there in the classroom when Ben is too tired to answer a question. Uh, but yeah, it just... Uh, there, There's a lot of threads in this narrative that don't really tie together to make, like, a cohesive story. 
they just keep like opening possible narration threads and then just not closing them. Did you like Ben's answer when they asked him about carbon dioxide? <laughs> uh, no, but I also don't like this science class. I think <laughs> this science class is dumb. Uh, but she asks about CO2, and, like, Ben goes off on, like, that's what you breathe on Mars, because that's what's on Mars. And I think the the answer the teacher was looking for is it's a gas produced in respiration, decomposition, and, like, one other thing. I was just like, okay, so you're teaching kids to memorize answers and not fully understand anything. Great. I mean, that's what school does, but... <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. The other thing that really bothered me about this science class was later, much later in the film, we get a shot of this. I think it's after they've actually gone to the adventure. The teaser asks Ben, who was the discoverer of nickel? And like, I know a fair amount of science and I don't know the answer to this question. And like the girl behind him gives the answer. And then like the specific year that this guy discovered nickel as an element. I just like, that is useless information. <laughs> like, knowing who discovered it doesn't tell you the properties, doesn't tell you, like, the chemical formula or what it can be used for. Like, that is useless information that nobody should have. Why are we teaching it to kids? Uh, I, I sure didn't know the answer, but... I don't think anyone does. I th and she was the same girl who answered the carbon dioxide question, I think, so she's Especially just the class know-it-all. middle school classroom. Anyway... The science of the film is bad, because it was science <laughs> written by screenwriters who love sci-fi. Anywho. I mean, at least they considered the fact that the bubble would run out of oxygen, so they remembered to bring oxygen tanks. That's right. Uh, so, during their first trip, they're taking control of, and they panic because they've run out of oxygen, and Wolfgang has the brilliant idea that what I'm going to do is reverse the inputs to this... Which, one, doesn't make any sense, because they're receiving external inputs wirelessly. So switching a wire in an input terminal doesn't do anything. Would they have had understanding of Wi-Fi in 1985? I didn't say Wi-Fi, I said wirelessly. <laughs> There's multiple technologies, uh, technologies that can do that. That's true. Secondly, he needs to shut down the system for a bit so that he can reboot the system. And... They've run out of air, and getting rid of the bubble for a bit makes them fall through the sky until they can reboot it, and it, it magically navigates back to where they started. They are in high Earth orbit at this point because they've been flying up mm -hmm. into space. Opening the <laughs> airtight bubble, they explain as providing them with more air. That yes, is I don't, not what it would do. What he, he said, cover your ears, There's gonna all the air is going to rush yeah. in. And I was like, what? No, <laughs> you're in a lower atmospheric pressure than what's in the bubble. You're going to explosively decompress. Like if an airplane opens unexpectedly in midair, like people aren't sucked out the way you see in movies, but you do get decompression and the air rushes out not in uh and so they would lose more air and suffocate once the bubble came back on although they would this have fallen by then so maybe there was more air after they fell maybe also i don't know if holding your ears necessarily 
stops your ears yeah. from popping and destroying themselves. Now, that's interesting, though. You pointed out when they turn the bubble back on, mm-hmm. then if they do fall back into to atmosphere after they turn the bubble back on in space, they would then still have a vacuum inside the bubble and regular air outside. Correct. Hmm. This film doesn't understand compression or physics. So, anyways, at the end of this, like, when he switched the input terminal, it I immediately recognized, okay, so instead of going out into space, you're going to be crashing into the Earth. Mm-hmm. Something that we've previously established, Earth doesn't stop the bubble. The bubble will make a perfectly straight cylinder through the Earth, and you will go into the molten core of the Earth unless you somehow are able to control the inputs. I mean, the bubble, you don't know, maybe it will survive that because it survives crashing into everything else. Yeah, the bubble and the people inside the bubble would be fine. However, it would create an instant volcano in the middle of their town, which (laughs) is probably not great. (laughs) Uh, That would have been a great ending. They just crash through, here's a volcano, everyone dies, the end. (laughs) Also... We don't know what effect that would have on the molten core of the Earth. Maybe it's not great if the molten core suddenly gets something shot through it. (laughs) I don't know. Anywho. So, at this point in the film, Ben is the only one willing to take another shot. Wolfgang and Darren both recognize the immediate danger that they were in. The danger of dying in space if they lose control again. The danger of crashing the spaceship. Uh, and they, Wolfgang wants to run more tests for years before they try again, and Ben keeps pushing them, they both say no. This is the point that the aliens bring the other two kids into the dream, so that it is not just Ben's dream anymore, it is all of their collective dreams. And the kids interpret this as, this is fate. Aliens are reaching out to each one of them, calling them into space, So they have to go because this is, it's the universe calling them into uh, discovery. Like, they need to go because something out there is calling them to go. And it, they assume it is a good thing calling them, which they're kids, that's a fine assumption for kids to have. But as an adult, it's like, well, it could be like baiting a fish with a worm It could be like luring a rabbit into a box with a carrot. Like, this could just be aliens trying to capture and eat children of the Earth by making them come to them. And you know, that's once they get to the spaceship, like the whole first few minutes of them encountering things in the spaceship is all scary things popping out at them that they don't know what's happening. And I I think we have reached a good point to talk about this spaceship. For our audience, they get... So the second circuit that they get for the the collective dream is the part Ben was missing on the original circuit, which is a... Oh boy. It is a electronic circuit that produces oxygen. (laughs) I'm just... People can't see your face, but... I know. It's just that that can't exist. You can't just make oxygen out of a computer it's not how anything works and like i can accept alien space magic i can't accept that human beings who don't get technology from aliens but instead have to build it themselves based on alien 
design schematics. I don't accept that humans can build something that is a computer that produces oxygen. It's absurd. Also, air that we breathe is mostly nitrogen and not oxygen. <laughs> like, if you go scuba diving, you get a mix of these two. <laughs> anyway, but it allows them to take their bubble out into space and explore the universe as they originally intended. I mean, technically, they could have taken the bubble out into space already. They just would have had limited amount of air. They also, but... yeah, they would have died, is the thing. Because once they go out in space, that's when the, the something external takes control. It's on autopilot at that point. Which is what happened. They get up into space and the thing took over and they just let it suck them into the spaceship. Yeah, so what's interesting to me here is that they go out into space with their perfect oxygen system that they've tested exactly one time and it works no problem. No problems whatsoever. Uh, and then... They swing by the moon on autopilot, and then they just kind of zoom away. So they've previously established, like, momentum and inertia are not a problem if you're inside the bubble. And the assumption here is that the bubble has gone, like, light years in an instant to this other alien craft. And we don't know where this alien craft is centered. We don't know, like, how far away they are from Earth at this point. I like that the film didn't explain that, like, oh, the ship is in orbit around Jupiter. It's just, like, the ship is out there somewhere, and it can bring things to it in an instant. Yeah, I'm glad. So, and in the 60-second thing, I mentioned it was a ship in orbit, but I guess I don't, I don't, I guess it really wasn't. It was just kind of out there somewhere, but it was close. I guess I kind of had assumed it was just around the Earth somewhere because they were picking up Earth media, and that's how they learned how to speak, I guess. So the thing that I related to and didn't use for games was um, uh, the creatures of Omicron Percy I-8. Um, basically, in Futurama, these TV signals from uh, centuries ago, uh, millennia ago in the show, they're just sent out to space. Which is true. When you transmit TV, you uh, it's a electronic power signal. So you have to have some... So it some makes oxygen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, you have to have something that can pick up a small amount of it and then amplify it, and that's how you get TV or whatnot. But all of those waves are out in space. They're very, they're very low energy at that point. Like, to pick it up in space, you need a large antenna to pick up the small signal, and then you need an amazing amount of power to increase the signal and actually process it and blah, blah, blah. But alien magic, they could pick up the signal light years away, and it would take years from Earth transmitting it for them to pick it up out there because it's traveling at the speed of light. So if they're 30 light years away, if they broadcast something in the 80s, they wouldn't get it until 20. So like their knowledge of TV is from an era, I want to say at least 30 years before these kids have been watching TV. Uh, and Ben recognizes some of the things because he's into older B-movie films but, like, when they are parroting some of the TV that they watch, it's all, like, 1950s talk show hosts. Mm -hmm. Commercials. Commercials or, uh... There was some comedian, too, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of the thing. Well, it may come to me, it may not. We'll see. But anyway, 
we can talk about them getting to the spaceship. So, in between the first and the second trip is, is when... I was thinking about Thawdville. Oh, yes. Sorry. Well, I can't believe you forgot it. Uh, <laughs> I Well, I remembered it within time. Go ahead. Um, in between the first trip and the second trip is when cop man is chasing them around and that's i think that was part of the reason they took off without really testing it is because ben's like no this guy is chasing me he'll be here any minute we need to go before he shows up so i think that was part of it but the night before or maybe after i don't remember if it was the night before their trip or if it was just after they arrived back from the first one He's sitting at home talking to his mom. Remember how I always wanted to be an astronaut and you tell me to chase my dreams and you wouldn't care whatever I do or something? <laughs> and so it's just interesting how he's like trying to justify to himself that he can leave at, at his age. And Yeah. What's, so this scene, he knows he's leaving that night, even before the cop has encountered him. He's writing his will. So he accepts that he's going on a mission into space, and he might die. And he talks to his mom, he's like, it would be alright if I went into space, right? <laughs> and she doesn't have any context for what he's saying. She doesn't know he's talking about doing it tonight. She assumes he means becoming an astronaut decades down in the future. And she's like, yeah, definitely you could do that. Kids, you can do anything you set your mind to. He's like, great, Mom. I'm going to go out into space and die, possibly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I completely forgot about that he was writing his will. I was like, I didn't what? feel so bad. Like, I, I compared this to other movies where children are saying goodbye to their mom. And I mentioned something similar to this in Babe, where Babe is... When Babe says bye, Mom, to his prig mother who's going off to slaughter, I felt horrible. When this kid is saying by mom and possibly going off to his own death it didn't affect me as much because like the kid doesn't accept that the danger he's in that's a continual thing for this character ben is like he encounters danger and he survives by this you know the skin of his teeth and then he accepts like well we survived because of course we survived and doesn't understand like the low probability of doing that again well, it's like you say, he's the captain character, like, from Star Trek, where it's just, well, we better go do this because it's an adventure thing and and everything will be fine. We'll just go do it. It's probably more of a Kirk than a Picard, but... <laughs> yeah, but certainly. Just the brash captain that goes out and does whatever he wants. Maybe, maybe a Zap Brannigan? <laughs> yeah, people have said that. Kirk and Spock were flipped for Next Generation, so Picard is more of a Spock and Riker is more of a Kirk. Hmm. Anyway, let's go on to them getting to the ship. They get pulled in. They only realize once they're inside and docked in the ship, they might be in danger. <laughs> like, they're all scared to go out. Even like, this is why you guys left. This is why you're here. And then, like, it gets shocked by some lightning, which the aliens explain later is supposed to uh, sanitize the whole thing. And then the kids decide, oh, yeah, they could kill us in the ship, too. We better leave. Because <laughs> getting out is safer than staying here, apparently. And almost immediately, they fall down some holes, which Sarah would be a big fan of. <laughs> 
And so I, then they, yeah, they all get separated here. So while they're searching for each other, they start hearing other things that Wolfgang ends up meeting a woman alien, apparently. And then a some, very sexually active yeah, woman yes. character who doesn't understand that the uh, Wolfgang's children. not necessarily interested in her, but she keeps pushing. I mean, he kind of was by the end, I think. Yeah, probably, but he seems like the the least interested in pursuing a romantic relationship for most of the film. Although this is an alien, so yeah. <laughs> so Ben and Darren an somehow found each other, but then as they're wandering through the dark, Darren says the same thing twice, and Ben's like, you just said that, and he says, no I didn't, and then suddenly they realize there's an alien there. Which is kind of a thing that happens in a lot of... I don't want to say scary move, but you know, something like that, like a kid's or like a Scooby-Doo or something where there's, they're in the fog and then suddenly somebody repeats something and they notice that they're not the only ones there. So, so we can get to the, the alien that they meet because that alien is one of the kid aliens. Uh, before this happens, Ben and Wolfgang are wandering around each other or wandering around. Uh, because they fell down the same hole and Darren went into a separate one. But the film still had my attention here because one of the things they encounter, like they hear skittering noises like mm. the ship is full of space rats or something. And then they see what I can only describe as a spider ball. Think the uh, the villain's machine from The Incredibles. It's kind of that. And, like, that rolls or skitters to them and then presses them up against a, a wall because their escape has been blocked off. And then it just starts scanning them, which is, to me, interesting. Because if this alien thing was interested in them, it would use whatever technology it had to process them in some way. So, like, we see it snap light or shoot lights as if it's taking photos with a flash it brings out this thing that is clearly sniffing them and smelling them that uh sets off an alarm and like these two hand-like robot things come out and they start frisking ben and that's how they find uh Lori's photo which is in ben's back pocket and then the robot whistles at it <laughs> this to me was interesting they're seeing technology they've never encountered before the technology they're on alien spacecraft. They've previously mentioned these aliens could take a form that we have never even conceived before. And if the aliens had been this ball, if they were like a technological alien who were larger than human beings and like traveled in this ball as like an AI technology species or like a smaller uh, species that's wearing a shell around it that to me is far more interesting than the aliens we run into i i, I guess i thought that that spider ball was i thought the aliens were inside it at the time and that was they they were controlling the thing investigating them could be but it may have just been like a security robot or something to go check out if everything is safe before the aliens meet it. Though where Darren ends up is far more problematic for me, because his chute that he falls down to just leads to this giant pit, this giant cavern with, like, these weird uh, suspended blocks of what look like concrete swinging through this large open area, 
and he decides that it's an obstacle course and he's gonna go climbing around in this incredibly dangerous area. What and why is that inside the spaceship is another question. But but why, why would the spaceship have this room? <laughs> and then when you find out later that the aliens are not scary, then what is the purpose of this scary weird room with a bunch of concrete blocks? And then Darren, in his exploration, finds this chair, uh, at least what he interprets as a chair, and he sits down, and it shoots, like, electricity into his brain, and he gets a bunch of images all at once. Uh, and that's not fully explained as to what those images were, what they were trying to convey to a person sitting in this chair. Are they brainwashing him? Are they transferring their collected understanding of the universe? Or is this the technology by which they were transmitting the circuits to the children of Earth? All three of those are interesting answers, and this film gives us none of that. I'm wondering if there was like a deleted scene or something, because there was at one point uh, Wolfgang and Ben, I believe, encountered something, or they were, maybe they were just talking about it, but something about mind controlling or whatever and ben says well maybe that's where my dreams came from so they were talking about this technology that could transmit thoughts and dreams into people's heads but i guess they never explained if they had found it or if that's what darren found they uh so darren sits down we see a bunch of flashes of the images that he gets in his brain and then the next scene is ben finding him we have no understanding of how long he's been there, sitting in this chair, kind of just uh, getting visions in his brain. And then he talks to Ben, and we completely forget about the entire thing. They just go on with their day and don't really discuss what happened, what he saw, what he learned, if anything. It's just this interesting thing happens, and then this film abandons it immediately. Uh, and not the first time, but <laughs> while they're exploring after this is where we run into, uh, this alien, uh, I believe his name is Anik. Oh no, Walk. Walk is his name. Neek. Is the female, I think. Yes. Yes. Neek is the female. Walk is the male. Uh, so Sarah described Walk's character design as possibly a potato covered in fondant, uh, which... Yeah, it's fairly accurate. He reminded me of, like, a bug character you may see in, like, a Pixar film. He looked like a grub with legs and arms. But the way that they communicate with the kids, the way that they speak English, is to play recorded clips of shows that they've watched. They're able to perfectly reproduce any sound that they've heard, and they try to have a conversation while using these clips to convey the ideas they're trying to say. So it's a lot like Bumblebee communicates in Transformers, though I find Bumblebee's talk much more interesting yes. because he has things to say. This guy just went on about nothing. I hated these aliens. Mm -hmm. Partially because, like, they take him to a, to a room, all three boys are back together, uh, we meet Neek, who looks like the female gremlin from Gremlins 2, um... <laughs> She's hard to look at, uh, and we see through Ben's eyes that he finds her incredibly unattractive. And then Watt takes over, and he explains to them that he's watched TV, and then he just 
he basically performs for them. Yeah, and I don't know what the if that was trying to communicate or if he just decided now I have this audience I better give a performance or right. something. I don't feel like it was a communication because of the way that his sister was react. Like his sister is clapping and cheering at everything he's doing as if as if this is her favorite show. Uh so like he brought them all here to perform for them. And much in the same way that a performer is talking to an audience, but not, like, communicating with an audience. These kids are not being communicated with. They're being performed at. And that's not what they're here for. And it's it's disappointing for me watching it, because I'm living vicariously through Ben, and Ben is disappointed watching this. It was just weird, I guess, because they show up and they kind of talk a little bit, but that Ben's like, I don't understand because it was just gibberish from old TV shows and none of it was really like an explanation. And then he's he's like, oh, well, how about this? And then goes up and starts doing these performances like like, oh, you kids should enjoy this because it's what you guys do on Earth. And I think it was maybe his way of. Not not making peace, but you know what I mean? Like exp- showing them that we're good people. We just want you guys to like us. But at the same time, yeah, why do you invite them up there? And the first thing you do is perform. You should at least talk to them somehow. Right. So this this reminded me of when I did a study abroad in Taiwan. And the first week I was over there, like a lot of people there were interested in meeting a foreign American. And so, like, uh, they decided, well, uh, we'll take you out to dinner. And, like, we'll talk about experiences and whatnot. And where they wanted to take me was McDonald's because they felt it would be familiar and comfortable for me. Whereas, like, I'm more interested in eating the food you have here and learning about your culture. I don't need an approximation of American culture when I'm in a foreign country. I have plenty of American culture experience. That's not what I'm here for. Although some foreign McDonald's do have foods that are sure. specific to where they are. But that's not the point. <laughs> right, right. So. They took me there because they thought, oh, you're American. This is American. You'll love right. it. Just like uh, walk in this film is saying, oh, you're from Earth. I know all about Earth. I'm going to perform an Earth performance for you because that's what you're used to. It's just like, no, tell us about and aliens. Tell us about like your technology. This was supposed to be the big climax to the movie yes. because it's all building up to them flying to space and meeting aliens. And then they get up there and meet them. And that this is what they are. And then they sing a song, which I feel oh, like... God, I, I hate it. I feel song. like the song was supposed to be like the big number, to like, you know, the big thing of the show and... Um, it's this big upbeat song and all the kids start clapping along and having fun. And, (laughs) and I guess the music has a good beat to it, but I, it, I just didn't really care at that point. Yes. I have in my notes when they start performing this musical number, which for reminder of our audience, they're basically playing, they're basically lip syncing clips from old TV shows. So, like, they're not saying the words. They're basically playing a recording and mouthing those words. So when he's giving this performance, he's basically playing rock and roll in the sound system and then mouthing along to it as if he's giving that performance. 
Is that what you... So, I guess I... I've, no, it's coming out of his voice box. Yeah, like, yeah, To give yeah. an audience an idea, like, he's producing the sound, but he's also, like... It's basically he's hit a, a play button in his throat, and he can mouth the words, but, like, making something he's heard before, not making an original song. And then he picks up an alien saxophone and starts playing that, and I was... I completely tuned out at this point. Like, none of this mattered. Ben is disappointed watching this. I'm disappointed seeing this. I don't <laughs> love the song. The song goes on for a full three minutes, and, and I don't well, care. And then, so, I think it was before the song happened, but then the alien is up there, like, acting like a comedian and telling jokes, and the kids are all yeah. just kind of staring at him, like, okay, I and don't get he, it. To get to get Ben involved, he's like... All right, kid, come up here. Mess, uh, please extend my antennas. Not those, kid. Ha, ha, ha. And once Bennett extends the antennas, instead of getting an explanation or bringing him into the performance, he does what the old comedians would do, which is say, get away now, kid. You bother me. It's just like, ah, oh, okay. So you wanted to bring him in, but then you're kicking him out again so that you can perform at him again. It's just like... They wanted to communicate to aliens, and they're not communicating. So, I feel like it was... So, after this performance is when they kind of get... The the kids are like, well, why haven't you actually come down and talked to us before? Why go through all this to bring us up here? And this is when they get the whole story about, well, your kind doesn't like us. That's why we're too scared to come down. And they show them old movie clips. But also, Earth is full of germs. Uh, yes, also that. I, I think they may have seen War of the <laughs> Worlds. Right. They know that Earth is dangerous because it has foreign germs that could harm them. Now, they don't address whether or not the aliens have germs that could harm humans and whether or not any of the germs are getting on those kids right now and whether those germs will go back to Earth and populate and wipe out the human race. That doesn't seem to be a concern of theirs. Anywho, yeah. I'm just saying germs are a two-way street, and they're only considering one way. Maybe maybe their cleansing lasers could fix that as well when they arrived in the ship or when they leave or something. Yeah, so after this performance that I was incredibly bored by, they finally get to talking about the actual aliens. They haven't been to Earth because of germs and because of war. They talk about... We sent it to you because you're a special kid who sees that aliens don't have to be adversaries. We can be your friend. And they finally begin to have a talk that is meaningful. And then this alarm goes off. Mm -hmm. And it's quote unquote space pirates. It's like as soon as they start doing something that that is what the kids are there for and getting to know each other, suddenly it all is over because alarms are happening. And I felt like this was such a cop-out. Now, it turns out not to be space aliens. It turns out to be these kid aliens' dad. But the film doesn't explain that until later. Space aliens has an explanation, even though it's a lie. It's not a lie that the audience is in on. You mean space it's not pirates? A lie that... You said space aliens. Oh, sure. Yes, space <laughs> pirates, even though it's a lie, is not a, not a lie the audience is in on. Because it's not a lie that the kids are telling. And we know the truth. It's a lie that the alien kids are telling that we don't know if it's true or not. And so 
we just assume, oh, space pirates are a real thing and they're happening right now. And that's a bit of a cop out, given we were totally getting to the thing this film set up as what it was going to establish. This is bad. Turns out not to be space pirates. If Turns it out had to be been actual space pirates, and if this had been like an hour earlier in the movie, they could have made something out of that, like the kids get kidnapped or something, and then some stuff it, happens. They could have gone on a separate side adventure, and it could have been a buddy comedy between the aliens and one of the kids who didn't get kidnapped trying to save the other kids that did. <laughs> like, that's a much more interesting film. But it's not what this film is. <laughs> Uh, so they, uh, the dad comes, Darren has the realization that these are alien kids, this is their dad, these kids are in trouble. The kids talk about, well, we wanted to be sure you had a good time. We wanted to be sure that you liked being here, uh, for the next time that you come by. Uh, and... Everything that they wanted to accomplish, everything that these human kids came here to learn is pushed aside as like, yeah, we'll, we'll do that the next time. Whenever we get around to it, it's not going to be a part of this film, uh, but you'll, you'll come back and we'll talk. Uh, so they, they exchange gifts. Ben gives things that are, I, I think Darren starts it actually, where he gives some music, some modern music these aliens haven't heard before to the male alien so that he can hear it. I think he might also give, like, this very special gift he had from childhood to the aliens, because Darren has held on to it because it's something special his dad gave him when he was very young. Or maybe it was from his mom, since his mom passed. But it somewhat resembles these aliens, so he hands it over as a parting gift. And, like, Ben gives them a harmonica, which is another musical instrument, and, of course... The aliens eat it because they don't know what harmonicas are, even though they, I assume they've seen them on 1950s television. A harmonica is not a modern thing. But they also give Ben this weird crystal thing that is alien technology that we don't know what it is or what it does. And the film doesn't explore that. It doesn't get tied up in explaining, like, what well, the thing yeah, does. The alien says it's what dreams are made of, or something. Which, to me, I'm wondering if that's how they control the dreams, but if that's the case... Oh, okay. If that's the case, I don't know how they control dreams later, unless they have more of them, but... Yeah, to me, like, I immediately recognize that what dreams are made of is from the Maltese Falcon. And so I assume that to be this is the... This is the MacGuffin that you've been after this whole time. Maybe this will explain a few things to you. This is what you've been searching for. But you could be right that he's just saying, this is what transmits dreams, and this is how we'll be able to contact. I was expecting... Um, so, earlier, when Dad shows up, he's mad at them, I think, because they stole his ship. And he doesn't care about the humans being there, or whether because then they say, "Oh, this is for your next trip. You can come back." Well, well, does Dad agree with that, or is I don't think he does. I also don't think Dad speaks English, but he does like three words at the end. What does he say? I, I think recall. he's bye bye or something. <laughs> but I thought he had. I think at like towards the end of it, he had a couple like one or two words in the middle of it that you could understand. Yeah, but I I know what you mean. I think that was a failure on the actor who's playing the father, uh, who is Robert Picardo. Um, same guy as Starkiller before. 
not being able to come up with a fake language, and so needing to use some actual human words in there. He also, the dad is also mad that the daughter is interested in dating, which is a weird old trope that I'm glad is gone from cinema history. Anyway, nothing is solved, nothing is communicated, nothing is explained, and then the kids leave. And when they leave, what do we get? They fly home. They go home and crash into the ocean. No, no, no. Before then, on oh. their way home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ben, all we get is Ben remembering things that the aliens said on the Which way to the... Which were absolutely pointless anyway. Yeah, like he's not connecting the dots. He's not solving a mystery. He's reminiscing about the trip he just had where nothing happened. It's like montage of all, like, voiceover lines of things that the aliens said to him, and part of it is that song. And it's like, none of this has anything to do with anything. Right, why are we replaying this? We just saw it, and we didn't care the first time. <laughs> right. Like, if it had been something like he's remembered something from a long time ago, and suddenly that's connected with what just happened, so now he's like, aha, but no, it's just remembering the thing that happened ten minutes ago. So yeah, they get into Earth orbit, they start going home, and they find out, not only don't have control of their ship, their technology doesn't work anymore, and the bubble stops working, and they crash into a river and nearly drown. We see shots of Lori, Ben's love interest, uh, dreaming fretfully, and the implication is that she's dreaming about their space travel uh, and dreaming about them crashing into a river. And when they crash, she wakes up. She leaves the house, I presume, at like three in the morning and not telling her parents where she's going. And she goes down to the river to discover her dream was a reality. Uh, she watches the three boys as they mourn the loss of the ship that they all built together, and it sinks into the river, uh, presumably to never to be used again. So when they got that medallion thing as a gift, I first thought it was going to be something like that he could give to the girl. Oh, okay. And kind of bring her into the thing, which is why she would be in the dream now or whatever. Now, just just now... I had a theory while you were talking. Sure. Maybe him having that with him is what made her dream the actual events that were happening. Oh, because he was thinking about her? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I mean, mean could be. it could be. Nobody ever, we don't know because the movie never told us, but... So all we get after this point, the kids have lost their ship. We see Ben in class unable to answer a question about who discovered Nickel, because that's pointless. Uh, and then he's looking at his... He sees a note from Lori, who sits in front of him, something along the lines, Did you have a nice trip? Assuming that she knows. And he looks at his crystal, and it shines. And then he's alone in the classroom, and in the back of the classroom is the ship that he's built. And then we immediately cut to a dream sequence of them above another circuit that presumably the aliens have sent them, and it's a more complex one, and they don't know what it does yet, uh, but it's all three of the boys flying over the circuit, and Lori has joined them, and Ben and Lori kiss. But I don't know if the crystal in the classroom was a dream. I don't know if they have their ship back. I don't know if this circuit is for them to build a force field ship. And it's, it's a weird way to end in that 
it doesn't close off the story. It leaves it to, like, the future. It presumes they're going to have future adventures. But the first adventure was so boring it's and that they, pointless. they were thinking ahead that they were going to have sequels and then they didn't because it was so bad the first time. Maybe. But, like, that's the thing about trilogies. The first movie has to be great. And then you get signed on for two more. If your first movie doesn't accomplish the thing that you wanted it to accomplish, there's not going to be any more after that. Yeah. I don't know. So it, it just... they, the, I love the beginning of this movie and the, the climax and the denouement. I was just like, oh, this movie was not worth my time. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm, at least we're on the same page because I knew... That's the taste it leaves in your mouth, and that's a terrible taste. Exactly. Like, the whole beginning of it leading up was great, and then they, when they finally get to space the second, the second time, when they actually go out there and get into the spaceship, I was just like, well, this is dumb. <laughs> but everything leading up to it was good, so... And, like, the final line of the film, which we'll close off before games, is Laurie, who's flying through the sky, looking at the circuit with Ben, ask him, what happens when we wake up? And his answer is, no idea. Uh, and then, film ends. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, cool. So, this film didn't have a real ending, in that, like, the characters haven't learned anything. They went on an adventure but didn't accomplish anything and they have no idea what the future looks like because nothing happened or nothing was accomplished things happened nothing important happened so you mentioned you don't know if he's dreaming in the class the the flash of the crystal etc to me is one of those where it could have just been the whole adventure never happened and that like from the very beginning of the movie <laughs> Right, it was a dream the whole time. Which, I don't know if that's a better ending, but it might be a better story that this movie puts forward. Anyway, we can get into our frustrations of the film later in reviews, but for right now, let's go on to games. Our first game is the pitch game, a game in which we put together two or more properties in the form It's This Meets This to describe this film. So Mark, you are going to start us off telling our audience what things combine to make explorers. Because this is a movie with a scientist accidentally creating a substance with unusual properties that flies around the lab smashing things, and once the energy is harnessed can allow the power of flight, meeting... A movie where a kid and his friends befriend an alien child with rubbery, fake-looking skin and strange facial expressions. The humans keep the new friend company until the alien parents with equally terrible, fake-looking skin arrive. Uh, is this Flubber meets E.T.? Ooh, well, the first one is correct. Ooh, uh, oh, um, is it Flubber meets Mac and Me? Correct! <laughs> okay. To be fair, Mac and Me is basically E.T., but worse. <laughs> right? <laughs> At, with the terrible, fake-looking rubber skin, so... Aha! Uh -huh. Alright, my first one here. So, since this is a film from the 1980s featuring a kid who's really into science fiction properties, getting abducted by aliens, and then getting to fly around in space, meets a group of neighborhood boys banding together to go on an adventure with someone that has control over a supernatural invisible force, and discovering monsters along the way. <sighs> 
is the first uh, well the second one is Stranger Things. Correct. Um the first one is a human who's obsessed with sci-fi and eventually goes to space, something like that. Yes. I would say think uh games rather than B movies for science fiction. I hope well, I have something in my mind, but I hope it's not right because I used that one also. <laughs> well, uh is it The Last Starfighter? It sure is. <laughs> Uh, so it was The Last Starfighter meets Stranger Things. Yeah. Go ahead and give us your one with The Last Starfighter. <laughs> it or give us another one. That, uh, that actually yet. was the next one on my list, too. <clears throat> An alien race provides a young male human with secret information without his knowledge, and after he figures it out, he is brought to space and meets creatures from another planet. Mm-hmm. Meeting a group of kids traveling to a fantastical place and confronted by a stop-motion animated mechanical spider. I think it's mechanical. I could be wrong. It's a stop-motion spider for sure. Oh, interesting. So, Last Starfighter is your first one. Sure. Correct. Uh, and then... Huh. I'm trying to think of a stop-motion spider. And I don't know if I can picture one. Because all the, like, the science fiction spiders I can think of were... CGI type thing. Nothing with a group of kids, either. Yeah, I'm blanking on this one. I'll take a hint. It had a remake a few years ago, which also had a CG spider in it. Maybe it's maybe you don't remember it because it's a spider and you blocked it from your mind. Yeah, I don't... The thing is, I don't remember any spiders ever. I just... Um, so... I don't know if I've seen a see. spider. So, it's... When they meet the spider, they are kids, but eventually... They oh, are is this? Okay. So this is Last Side of Fighter meets It? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I forgot it was about a spider. Uh, at least that's what they see in the sewers, because leading up to that, it's all, like, connected to water or something. Yeah. I don't... I, I, I haven't seen the remake. I remember the original. Oh, that was the original I was thinking of, but apparently it was not mechanical, though, so I guess that 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 was not correct, but... That, that's fine. It's some sort of supernatural thing, anyways. Supernatural? Anyway, uh, my next one is a film with a whiny main character who is dying to go on an adventure, a spaceship that's a hunk of junk being abducted by a much larger ship, and characters wandering around a giant spaceship with walkways over giant pit with no handrails. <laughs> Meets, a property featuring three boys at a middle school, where one is the main character who's a bit of a dreamer and has a girl he's interested in, one is a science nerd with round glasses and a bit of an abrasive personality, and the third is a kid from the other side of the tracks who is practical and socially intelligent. So, um, the first one is Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah. Or, I guess, any of the Star Wars. Well, I just, I just went with Star Wars. <laughs> but, yeah, Star Wars A New Hope is specifically the one I was referencing. Is the second one The Simpsons? No. Bah! Just because I mentioned it earlier. Okay, three, it, you said, was it a movie? Uh, no, it's oh. a property. So In fact, it's a would TV not show. Be the Simpsons, then, of course. I mean, it would. It could still be, but it wouldn't be if it was a movie, is what I meant. So I will say the science nerd in this property is not really part of the main group. He's there only in the early seasons. Uh, this show went on for a long time, and they don't stay in middle school the whole time. They go on to high school and college, and the science nerd is forgotten about. 
Um, Boy Meets World. Correct. <laughs> so it's Star Wars meets Boy Meets World. Huh. That would be quite a combination. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Uh, my next one, because it's a, an 80s movie where a group of unsupervised boys get harassed by bullies, go on an adventure together, and keep it a secret from their parents. Meeting... A movie where an adolescent male meets an alien creature who communicates by using forms of media picked up while studying Earth. Who? Um. <laughs> so, is this Goonies meets Futurama? No. Okay. Neither of those. <laughs> Neither. Oh boy. Going to adventure with the parents. So, mm, is this uh, Mork from Orc? <laughs> My favorite Martian. <laughs> no. One of those. No. Okay. Good. The one about the boys, unsupervised boys, uh, involves a dead body. Oh, sure. Stand by me. <laughs> that was a really easy hint. Um, the other one you we may have talked about during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that could be anything. There are multiple films about this. The aliens may not be organic. Is that... A way to say it? Huh. So they're... Oh. So they're mechanical aliens. Are they robots? Uh, it's not lost in space. They may be robot. They may be able to change their shape into other things, such um, as vehicles. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but... So this... If I can remember what the first one was... It was Stand By Me meets Transformers. Correct. <laughs> yeah, okay. Whew. Real mental exercise going on here. That one, I, well, I thought you would get that right away because you already talked about it during the thing, so. Yeah, I just, I forgot that Transformers uh, was a thing for a second. <laughs> so anyway, my next one here. I think you'll get the first one real easy. You I don't know how familiar you'll be with this second one. So if you need a hint to the second one, let me know. And if you just don't know what it is, I'll tell you. Uh, so, a property featuring a spaceship floating out in space, technology that is slapped together but still works perfectly the first time, and a bunch of B-movie sci-fi clips meets... A sci-fi property featuring the discovery of a perfectly round ball of unknown origins that is completely impervious, which eventually goes off into space, but sends some time of the movie at the bottom of a body of water. Is that like, now I have two things in my head. Is it like the abyss? No. I don't remember what the other, uh, the, I, it sounds so familiar, but you, that's the one you were saying that I may not know, so... Uh, I'll give it, I think it's based on a Michael Crichton novel, at least like the way that they approach this problem is very scientific and rational. So Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park and yeah. uh, the Andromeda Strain. So like that type of investigation is what the characters are going through in this film. The other hint I'll give you for the second one is a big hint to the title is that it's a perfectly round ball. It I, I wanted to say something like Sphere or something. Sphere is correct. But I don't know if I've ever even seen that. That's just the first thing that came into my head. The other one is about a spaceship floating in space. A spaceship in space. <laughs> As opposed to somewhere else. Well, it could be docked on land. 
but uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand. There you go. Or is it the new one? I don't remember what it's the new the, one is the called. It's the old one. I think the I think the new one is called the same thing as the old one. Uh, but the the sheer amount of B movie clips in this film, and then when they approached the the alien spacecraft, I thought it looked remarkably similar to yeah, Mr. Science Theater. Yeah, you know what? I didn't think about it until you just said that, but I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, but that was you know, Mystery Science Theater meets... Oh, Mr. Science Theater 3000 meets Steer. Go ahead. And I, when you first said something about spaceship floating in space put together by parts that shouldn't work or something, and I was like, Star Trek Voyager? <laughs> hey. <laughs> I mean, that could be any Star Trek. Voyager doesn't invent new technology for Star Trek. All right, All right your so next uh, one. my next one, <clears throat> it's a family film telling the story of a boy who travels to a junkyard, meets an extraterrestrial creature, is pursued by a man who also wants to meet the alien, and a sad ending where the new friends must part ways, meeting... A sci-fi property where a bunch of humans explore space and encounter a seemingly all-powerful alien race, and in the end they discover the creature they met was only a child. We don't know the second one. The first one's the Iron Giant. Is this one E.T.? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. This one is... So the creature they met was only a child. Uh, that... Okay, so this was a TV show, and that thing references a specific episode of that TV show. Oh, is this the Twilight Zone? <laughs> No, but... Oh, uh, dang it. Is this Futurama? <laughs> no. Well, I guess it, it could have also been Futurama, but Is no. this The Simpsons? No. <laughs> God dang it. It is not animated. So. It's not animated. Okay. All right, so tell me more about this episode. I Remind me what this is. The creature is threatening to kill everyone and wants, to, wants them to... He's trying to watch how they prepare for their deaths <laughs> and gives them a time frame until he will kill them to see how they react. But then they figure something out and find the creature and it is a baby. Huh. This sounds so familiar, but I can't pull it. I'm not. I have to throw in the towel. What, uh, what is this? This, this is was Star Trek, the original series. <laughs> ah, Okay. I have not seen the original series. Uh, I have seen all of Next Generation. I've seen all of Voyager. Now, but none other. You did other. bring up Futurama where there was an episode which actually was a Star Trek themed episode where they met oh, all the characters of Star right. Trek and the alien holds them hostage on a planet to fight each other. And then that alien turns out was a child also. I but, was thinking the one where they found the poppers uh, <laughs> and that turned out to be just an alien breeding ground and they were eating small alien children from omicron percy i hate or blah, blah, blah. and you even referenced that's those same aliens sure. in the episode so i get what you're going for so i guess to put it together that was iron giant meets star trek all right well i am out of them uh so we're going to Tell our audience what Sarah put together. Now, I don't know what one of these means, um, because uh, it's beyond both Mark and me, but maybe our audience will be able to piece it together. Really? Um, and I can't give clues for it, because Mark already knows what it is. Uh, but she put together, it's Flight of the Navigator meets 
the Disney Channel original movie, Can of Worms. Now, you said you don't know what that is. Technically, I don't know what the Can of Worms movie was either, but we did look it up. So the only thing that we really could tell is based on the look of the worm creatures from that movie, that that must be where she got that from. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it remarkably similar bad rubber suit technology used to represent aliens in that. But yes, you'll have to ping Sarah and ask her specifically what she meant by it. We're not going to try to guess what Sarah means by the things she says, because she often doesn't say what she means. <laughs> well, maybe when she sends it out on the Facebook, everybody can comment and say, hey, tell us what this means, except by then they will just be listening to it. So... Yeah, also Sarah will have forgotten what she meant by that, guaranteed. That is also true. <laughs> Uh, uh, I guess I have Mark, one more. Last one here. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is a movie uh, using mind controlling dreams to communicate with children. Meeting a movie with uh, a scientist with his own home lab full of random inventions and experiments. A nerdy genius son. Kids accidentally discovering the secret new technology and going on an adventure, but eventually arrive back home and a possibility of romance. I mean, the second one sounded more familiar from the first, but, like, I don't have a good answer for either of them, actually. Really? Um, like, when you were talking in the second one, I was picturing Meet the Robinsons, but it didn't mm. fully fit into that. It's older than that. Older than that. We may have done an episode of it on the podcast. I don't remember. Did we? Was it? It's not Flight of the Navigator. No. Is it Goonies? No. <laughs> okay, because be fair. You just like that. You I just because I use Goonies all the time in my games. No, so. it's that Data's dad is a scientist. Yeah, no, it's true. And he has a gadget. I had actually thought about using Goonies, but I couldn't make it fit. So, <laughs> um, this one is. Oh wait, is this um uh Honey I Shrunk the Kid? Correct. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So the other one. I just gotta go through all the movies we've touched. The other one, uh, I more this just came up because specifically because of being in people's dreams, which is basically the only thing I put as a clue in the first place. Um, it is not necessarily a family movie because it's meant to be scary. Uh, dreamscape. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Um, oh, is it, uh... <laughs> I think you know it, because you, know, you almost said something. I, you know, I was going to say something, and then my brain caught up with, uh, my mouth sounds <laughs> that I was planning, and it was wrong. What I was going to say was Freddie Mercury, which is close, but wrong, because <laughs> I believe it's Freddy Krueger. Well, that's not From technically Friday the, the name 13th. of the No. Uh, no, Friday, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Correct. Gotcha. I, Friday the 13th. Um, right. No. Frederick, Frederick Mercury Kruger. I heard you go, and I was like, oh, you almost have it, I think, but. Right. And then my brain went to singing Bohemian Rhapsody. So <laughs> that was Nightmare on Elm Street meets Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Very nice. Oh, man. Let's go on to our second game, which is alternate taglines, a word of phrase you would see on the movie poster for the film, which encapsulates the theme, though possibly misses the point. 
So, Mark, you are again going to start us off. Tell us what the theme is for Explorers. I almost forgot the name of this film. <laughs> well, I'll say it and then see if I have to explain why. Explorers, in space, no one can make you laugh. Ha! You don't need to explain that. I get it. My first one, Explorers. Exploring the galaxy is child's play if you can just ignore physics. Nice. You could have just left off the physics part and it still would have worked. <laughs> sure. Explorers to the junkyard and beyond. <laughs> uh, this isn't a great tagline, but it's definitely something I thought of during the film. It's Explorers. Never test anything you build. It'll always work perfectly the first time. But they did test it. They didn't, though. <laughs> they turned it on and it worked. They had to slightly <sighs> modify it, but it worked perfectly as intended the first time. Remember, like, the first the first time they tried to fly and he went through safety checks for, like, ten minutes and the kids, were, the other two were like, come on. Right, we just want to go off into space and possibly die. Come on. Uh, uh, I have one more. Explorers, a childhood adventure that's out of this world. <laughs> ah, uh, classic 80s tagline. Um... <laughs> My last one here is Explorers. Is there intelligent life in the universe? <laughs> well, there's certainly life. Oh, man. Again, you could have left off the second half and it would still. <laughs> well, it would, I it think wouldn't the make as half, much sense. I mean, it I think make the sense, second but... half clearly shows my interpretation yes. of these aliens that they are worthless. Um, anyway, let's go on to our third game, which is the TV Guide game. A description you would see the plot of the film in a Netflix or TV Guide description, which is technically correct, but possibly misses the point. Mark, you're going to start us off here again. What is the plot of Explorer? In classic Hollywood trope fashion, a group of children have amazing adventures, but in the end, it was all just a dream. Ha! <laughs> Quite possibly. We'll never know. My first one is an 11-year-old kid gets an incredibly rare privilege to live out his dream of becoming an astronaut and is disappointed nearly the entire time. Now, when you say nearly, <laughs> I feel like it was the entire time. I think there were sections of it when he was exploring before he met the aliens that he was slightly hopeful. Like when he climbed on his roof and laid on a sleeping bag that was already there. Or like when they were first flying by the moon. He was very excited. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> children get caught stealing their dad's car and mind-controlling strangers to go for a ride. Ha! Ah, that's not too far off from my next one, uh, which is... Through an amazing amount of effort, two siblings overly concerned about germs manage to get some neighborhood kids to come over for a visit. That is pretty close. Yep. Uh, I have one more. I d you have one more? Uh, no, I'm out. So finish us off here. All right. A young boy who wants to be an astronaut enlists the help of his scientist friend to make his dream a reality. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah, except you already stole my astronaut line, so... I made dream into reality is quite literally what this film is about. <laughs> yep. So, like, nice work. All right, so let's go on to our review scale. Uh, starting, of course, with our infamous potato scale, telling our audience what they can expect to feel while watching this film in terms of our relationship with potatoes. Now, while you give your potato review, <laughs> I'm going to look at the scale because I never prepare this. So please, Mark, 
tell us what is Explorers in terms of potatoes. <laughs> Good news for you is that I already figured this out. <laughs> so, uh, one that I don't know if we've used it very often. Maybe someone else has. I don't think I have. But we have one that says, started out good, did not keep up. And I think we already discussed that during the during the podcast. Like, that's kind of exactly the feeling I get from this, where I liked the beginning of it and the whole idea of preparing for the mission and figuring... I mean, the science wasn't great, but the in, in the fiction of the movie, <laughs> it, it was a good story basically right up until they meet the aliens and show up on the spaceship. So that one is Reheated Fries. Um... I also wrote down tater tots because, as adults, there are a lot of questions lingering afterwards, and maybe as a kid I wouldn't have noticed those things, maybe. <laughs> so, I think as a kid it might have been a fun movie to watch just to think about exploring space, and all the, all the main characters, the people we're following throughout the movie are kids, which I think is kind of an indicator that it's a kid's movie. But I also wrote down ribbon potatoes because that was quirky and fun, <laughs> which it was quirky movie. Um, I don't know so much about the fun part necessarily, but like I said, the beginning half of it was really good until they go to space and then nothing happens. That it, So it just doesn't conclude what it's been leading up to. So I had reheated tater tot ribbons. I don't know how you make tater tot ribbons, but I'm excited to find out. Uh, I'm excited. <laughs> um, I'm full of spite for this movie, and I'm excited to tell you about it. <laughs> so I am also going to go for reheated fries. I think that's the most obvious one for this film. It started so good. It had such a strong start. It had such a great stance. Like I mentioned, the, the kids make a great team, and... I would have loved to see them exploring the universe or, like, battling aliens in some way. I don't know how, but try it out. And, like, the thing is it just didn't deliver on any of the threats that it started. And so, like, it's just a disappointment of a film. And I think, like, that's what you get from Reheated Fries. Is it's just, uh, it's not what I wanted it to be. Also, I'm going to give it sweet potatoes, which is just not as expected. We've used that to mean a lot of different things here. It's just like, I wanted it to be good. And like, it's a sci-fi film from the 1980s about kids going to space because of mind-controlling aliens. <laughs> that sounds great. And it's just nothing. I um, actually had sweet potatoes at, at one point, but I wanted to cut it back to three instead of four. <laughs> So it's nice that you used that one because I had thought of it. And I think the final one is just, I got to give this one a potato salad. Like aliens particularly are the worst film aliens <laughs> I've seen. Not their costumes, but the way that they don't accomplish anything. Like had these been one race among many, and this just happens to be the race that is overly sycophantic to earthlings and they keep chattering but they don't say anything that's fine but it needs to be balanced by aliens who like 
actually say important things that maybe maybe those aliens are antagonistic to humans and like that's the dynamic they have is like they're intelligent but they won't really talk down to humans anyway this film could have been so much better these aliens are so bad and they ruined what could be a very good film Altogether, what was that? That was reheated fries, potato, sweet potatoes, and potato salad. So that was Ooh. reheated <laughs> potato salad made of sweet potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which we can all admit would be just the worst. <laughs> oh, yeah, that just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> all right. Let's go on to our other review scale, which is a 0 to 10 scale, telling our listeners should they go back and rewatch this film. Uh, Mark, what do you have for a number scale for us? Well, as usual, I did go back and review ratings that I have given to other movies. I think, for reasons that we've already discussed, this could have been much higher, and it probably would have been if not for, like, the last half hour of the movie. <laughs> But just give, especially because it's right at the end, so that's the part you leave with in your mind, and it kind of ruins the rest of it. So I think I would have put it higher uh, over some of these other ones, but in the end, I ended up 5.75. I think. Wow. Is that higher than you would? Oh, uh, definitely. I, I Well, so here's what I said I think the beginning was really good. And I would have probably gone even higher, obviously, if it was just uh, following all those storylines and completed the other stories that it started, like we talked about. I took away a bit for the ending, but I still see it. I mean, it's, to me, better than just, like, I mean, better than the ninja movie, <laughs> for, um, at least in my mind. Better than Mac and Me alien movie. But I... It, I don't know. It's hard to me to explain exactly what happens in my head, but I just feel like it was, it had its moments, and if I had children to show it to, I, I would probably have them watch it, just to have the experience for some reason. But I probably wouldn't watch it again, so... So, I will say, without looking at the scale, I instinctively gave this a number. Then looking at the scale... I felt that number was accurate. So I did look at the scale, but after the fact of giving it something and really what this came down to for me is Mac and Me on my list is a five. I can't give this movie a five because Mac and Me, it got a five because it's a good, bad film. It's a ridiculous film that is fun to watch because it's so bad. This film is worse because it has so many good things that it brings at the beginning, and then the ending sucks. And, like, <laughs> this film gets worse marks because it was so good at the beginning, and everything leading up to the climax is so good and exciting, and I was on board for it. And then we get to the climax, and then we get to the denouement, and, like, without... This film didn't have an ending. In that, like, the ending was way worse quality than anything that came before it. And to me, that's, like, that's the worst sin you can make, is that you make a movie that is boring, and you make a movie that, like, makes promises to a, a viewer that it can't keep at the end. I guess that's just interesting. So, I mean, I would agree with all of that, but to me, I just kind of 
took that and made an average rather than saying, oh, ah. it sucked at the end, so I'm going to drop the entire score. No. The so. ending is the most important thing to the film because it is the final moment. It's the final thing you see. It's That's why Babe got so high on my list is because the ending of that movie is great. And the rest of the movie, fine. The ending's great, and that's fantastic. This doesn't have an ending. The ending's horrible, and that's a terrible sin because that's the last taste in your mouth. That's what you're going to remember from it. And nobody's going to go back and watch this. So I'll tell you, the only two that are getting a worse thing on my list is Man of the House, because it was racist and problematic, uh, and Warriors of Virtue, because that one is worse throughout the entire thing, and not <laughs> just at the end. So this is getting a three and tying with ants on my scale. So I don't recommend anyone goes back and watches this. Let it live in your memory. Don't visit it again. Three, three. as soon as you said you had a number in mind and you're looking at the list confirmed it, the first thing I thought of was a three. That is what you would put down, and I was right. So... I mean, it'll bring down our average. Uh, I think Sarah's review, if I can read it off to her audience, was um, I can't give a rating because of drugs. So, <laughs> I mean, th that's technically because she is sick and yes, took exactly. medicine, but it could also be mean the people who made the movie were drugs. Um. <laughs> so, Sarah's movie is non existent because of drugs, uh, but. <laughs> That's our review scale. Oh, yeah, I guess I have to do Sarah's part here, oh. where I can tell our audience where they can find us online should they choose to do so. I believe our Facebook page is Retrograding Podcast. Maybe. <laughs> um, no, we have two, I think. Retrograding is our page. Retrograding party line is... Party line is our group. You can find us online. Our website is retrograding.fireside.fm and our music is done by Dominique Barnes who continues to be great so close us out here we're going to go to our final segment which is guys I learned something today this is a fact I picked up while watching the film that I'm going to uh, convey to our listeners so they can mull over it or just have a fact that like they can just think about and know from this point onwards uh, and the fact that I picked up from this film, the thing, guys, I learned something today. And what I learned was the discoverer of nickel was Baron Axel Frederick Constant in 1751. That's it. It's just a fact that this film has, and I won't remember. So I want all you to remember it for me. Anyway, that's going to close <laughs> out this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you guys next time. <laughs>